Hello, Calvary. You're in a place for encouragement, camaraderie, and practical steps for spiritual engagement. During the season of Epiphany, we're continuing a conversation with Ray Paul, and I'm Caroline Whitman. We're talking about embodiment and what that means for us in relationships with each other in the church and in our own nuclear families and beyond. And joy shall be the crown And I think what I can often feel tempted toward, not tempted toward, but like I can kind of, the ditch I can follow too, is, <laughs> is often uh, hearing such familiar words. I, I pick up the same things from them because I'm just reading the familiar words. Um, and that's actually what you were talking about, about like being in community with others. That's I think the hope with like this Bible project reading plan we're going on right now is that we're all going to read the same thing at the same time yes. and then we can continue the conversation. Like that's yes. the beauty of it, it right? Is. It is. And granted it's tricky when we're not together together but um and like the bible project reading plan has conversations pre-recorded in like podcast form that we can listen to and and think through and interact with sorry so this is twofold um uh one being the vision for devotions kind of ticking toward a community aspect and then secondly like how do you fill in what is it on the page in a community dialogue and beyond? That's probably an impossible question, but here's to impossible questions oh, for me. All the impossible questions. This is going to be a roundabout way of answering the first question. Sure. But when you started to talk about that, I thought of in particular the more Orthodox or Anglican traditions, for example, where around the world, the same scriptures are being read in the service. Yes. So the liturgical readings at the beginning yes. of our service are these readings for the liturgical year. Anyone following their liturgical year is reading the same things. Yes. yes. That, I remember the first time encountering that and reckoning with this, wow, I am here right now, but elsewhere in, in their own different time of day or entirely different space, there is another believer who is before the throne with me receiving the word. Maybe and in a different language, maybe, maybe in a, a different, different stage language. of life. Yes. yes. And there's a, a community aspect to that. So even when sometimes the reading is on a screen or alone, there can be a helpfulness to reckoning and stopping for a moment and saying, in another in in another place, in another way, someone else is reading reading the scripture. Someone else is receiving the word, and we are in fellowship in that way. And doing so while also recognizing that you yourself need some embodied fellowship desperately. Mm. And if there's anything that we've learned in the pandemic, it's that we're not as possibly as introverts as we thought we were. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or not in the ways perhaps that we thought we were. We're relieved to not be out and about or have the rush of certain things, but eventually you encounter this 
kind of this loss of, dare I say, self, because you're no longer self with someone else outside of your immediate family space or your whatever circles, however small they might be, you've decided to bring in during the pandemic. The fewer those are, the harder it is, I think, to feel like a real person. The flip side of that might be in our pre-pandemic lives. We've placed ourselves in so many circles that we disintegrated the other way and tried to build ourselves out of these competing identities, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. I hear one talked about more than the other, and the second one, I just throughout my life, I'm not like right this second, but like as I look broadly in my life, I'm like, oh, I totally do that. Like I don't embrace the gift of limits off easily <laughs> without a fight. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Because we've been told that though for our entire lives is that fulfillment looks like having it all, doing it all, creating a bucket list or, or, or something. There's, there's some measure of happiness or satisfaction that we carry again, whether that's a, you know, the family charter passed down that a good life looks this way or a cultural one based on the spaces you grew up in or one that we've Christianized in some way and said, you are blessed by the Lord when you have this house and this picket fence and you know, this car, there's, there's a strangeness to all of that. That was one of my fears early on in the pandemic was that in embracing the, the, the protocols that we needed to, that we would stop recognizing the importance of physical presence. And I, I don't think that's happened because I think everyone is so, for the most part, people are so thoroughly drained by Zoom uh-huh. that there is a yearning for being in person. Because I was, I was, I was afraid of. Oh, we found out how convenient it is not to leave our house. Let's let's never leave our house. And I, I, I'm I'm hopeful that there's a necessary pendulum to. Oh, never mind. We'd like to leave our house every once in a while. <laughs> um, but that was my fear. Was please don't forget that you are a whole person, and you were created to breathe fresh air and to stop and smell the roses as cliche as it sounds or the lilac bushes <laughs> my soul on a work call recently there was a, a sociologist and psychologist who was presenting on the topic of love and there's a researcher who's talked about the fact that the brain triggers and types of, of chemical and brain reactions that occur when you look in someone's eyes is uh, it's necessary to have eye-to-eye contact. So their argument, for example, is that you can never love someone via video call. Not in that specific way of triggering the type of biological, you feel loved. You will never access the type of love when you are face-to-face that you attempt via the screen. And that was one of the conversations that came out of that was, well, is that too hardline? Are we, are we trying to define love too narrowly and all of that? 
But underneath it all was this fascinating question of we've spent how many months connecting via screen that I want to be careful that it's not a denial of the fact that there is a a love to seeing someone face to face, to looking them in the eye that your body, you, your body responds to and don't neglect that. Right. You are a whole person. You were made to be loved and the Lord designed our bodies to be able to love one another so that that eye to eye contact face to face is a way in which you are loved. And it's such a catch 22 because we are trying to love our neighbor by not seeing each other. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) We are choosing to love our neighbor by not seeing each other. And yet we feel like we're not loving each other. (laughs) And it's the ditches again. Yeah. Because you can get into the ditch of, well, I'll I'll never call. I'll never talk Mm. because the only way I love is, is in person. And the other ditch is to say, I am, I, I can only love in these ways. And it's that time and energy and attention given to, is this person loved particularly by a handwritten letter? Hmm. Does this person need to be reminded at random moments of the day, perhaps a text or a Marco Polo or whatever your media of choice is Mm -hmm. that allows that. So there's ways in which to, to reach people. But again, just be careful then when that becomes the only mode. And we've spent so many months existing in, in a mode of, of love that I want us to recognize. Like we should, in some ways we should feel starved. Yeah. It's, it is understandable to feel starved and don't convince yourself that you shouldn't feel starved. Because you live in a body. Because you live in a body. Uh-huh. Wrestle with that and say that this is a gift of the Lord. Uh-huh. We are in a season of famine. And it comes back to you. And I always, I don't know why. I've remembered this verse for years and can never place it correctly. He restores the, the years of the locust. Yeah. Uh-huh. Joel, I think. Is it Joel? That line is one that I, that, that verse is one that I loved. That there's a restoration of the lean years in new ways. Joel 2.25. Joel 2.25. There we go. I'm going to try to remember that forever. I can't tell you how many times I've corrected myself on the reference. So it's one of those things that immediately drops out of the, the mental. <laughs> I feel like we should just record here that the way that I personally feel loved is to be asked to try a cookie for any cookie competitions going out. So thank you, Abby Jackson. I have received that love and I would like to open the invitation to anybody else. Just kidding. <laughs> That's such a great Ray, how do you feel? <laughs> yeah. I do not feel loved by food. What? Are you sure? Okay. I should say, I should, I should edit that and say that uh, the preamble to all this is I have significant food restrictions. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, maybe you've adapted. <laughs> Just so kidding. I no, I can believe your word. Mm. And it's hard for me to receive it because there's always yeah. the question of, I don't know if I can actually have this. I'm going to make them feel badly. Got it. Interesting. There's a lot of layers there. So if someone knows me well enough to know what it is that they could give me without trying to kill me, that's meaningful. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful for somebody to like give you an unexpected gift that's exactly like they know you. Oh, gift giving is an art. I wish I was better at it. 
Are you good at it? No, no. And I, frankly, usually almost all the time despise gifts. <laughs> <laughs> giving or getting or both? Both. Okay. I, the, the gift giving season of Christmas is mm. so stressful. Oh, yeah. I just, I, get I, that. I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I'll gladly at any time of year write a card. Mm. Words, it, that's your thing. I'm just spending time putting onto paper something that there's a, there's a permanence to it and yes. there's a thought to it that I'm not having any other any other way. Are you someone who keeps every piece of paper you've oh, been given? So terrible. Apartment no. living has not been kind to that, but it's, <laughs> yes, yes. I have, which now is actually more special to me than it was before because my great aunt sent me a card on every birthday mm. for years and oh, I have all of those beautiful. and she's no longer here. And it's this marker of the ways that she loved from miles away. So there's a, there's a preciousness to that. Kind totally of thing. a preciousness. Yeah. Yes. So. I had a friend once who, um, she, I was in her place and she had like, you know, those lines where you can like hang photos on mm-hmm. and she had, hung up this like candy wrapper and I was like, what's this? And she's like, I unwrapped it when I said goodbye to my family, when I moved to this place and it was like so endearing right because like anything can be like a symbol of meaning and for her it was like the meaning of like the the goodbye until she got to see her them again she had it up oh that reminds me this is going to be a little bit of a story but it's i love it it's my favorite please tell (laughs) (laughs) i was on a choir tour for college in Mm -hmm. hungary oh my goodness technically in Romania, but we spent two days in Hungary and I spent both days with this family that worked for a mission organization that dealt, they dealt specifically with missionaries as they came on and came off the field and Hungary in particular, it's an intensely difficult language to learn. Mm. There's a lot of culture shock that they talked about could occur. It's in, it's a very, nominally religious there's there's some a lot of traditional things but there's very little faith and in the country as a whole and they had only been in hungary for a year they had spent the 10 years before in the u.s and at least 10 years before that in i believe it was russia so they were talking about helping these missionaries come on and off the field and they mentioned that the hardest time for anyone to move and be displaced as a family is when their kids are uh, typically the ballpark was 12 to 14 and under. Uh, and they said, you know, for the very young, it it's, might be fairly easy to replant for particularly for like a 10 to even a 15 year old. There's so much identity formation hmm. that occurs in those years. Oh, wow. It's tough because you disrupt that. Um, it's not solidified yet. They're coming to know themselves in relation to their social circles yeah. and their their place, their familiarity with their street. There's mm-hmm. there's so much embodied identity that, that forms in those years. It's tough. And they had a daughter who was right in that in that age age range. So I asked them, "What do you do? How did you How did you do it?" And they said, "For every." for the families that are coming on as well as for themselves, one of the things they did when they moved was recognize that there are symbols and that there are rituals and sacred objects. Hmm. 
And for example, they were very particular in identifying what are the, the things appropriate to where we're moving to, but what are the things that will establish that this is home? This specific object that comes with us, mm-hmm. not that, and I, they said right off the bat, it's not like you, you know, the house is burning down, you leave it behind and you lose your whole life. But what for this season, perhaps, because it could change, but what mm-hmm. for this season tells you this is where you are? That's a, that's a marker of, of the, the place where you are. And I immediately thought of those those families that have a family Bible, for example. Yeah. Just how that tells you where you are, who you are in, in this yes. in this lineage. Uh, oh, wow. But they also said then there's rituals. And the first night that we stayed with them, we heard them singing Jesus Loves You to their daughters as they as they went to bed when I and my crawlmate were, were staying there. And I thought of those things that you do day to day, year to year, that are cultivation of a person that you take with you. And I thought in particular for myself, there's been this expectation of you move from a home to an apartment, you downsize and you do it without thought sometimes Mm -hmm. and find this struggle to exist in a place. I did it when I was, I had this experience with this couple when I was in college and I'm thinking I didn't bring anything. I brought my books. I, I brought, not all of them. I brought the 25 core most favorites. Okay. Well, about half of them were C.S. Lewis at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this thinking, I, I brought that without thought. I just thought, I really like these. I don't want to have to get them from the library. I just want them. Yeah. And wanting to be more intentional about it. Um, about this, whatever it is, this thing. So the same with the rituals, because I realized uh, my family went through a move when I was uh, at the end of high school, my senior year of high school, we had a significant family move. And all of our, almost all of our family customs changed when we moved. Mm. And I wrestled with the complexities of what we did quite badly during the move, just how we functioned as a family, how we loved or didn't, how we reacted. And I realized that one of the ways that we manifested the various ways that we grieved was by keeping nothing constant. We, it was too hard for us to engage in those, those rituals that we'd had as a family, I think. And some of my siblings might nuance this differently. Yeah. But there was definitely a sense of, well, we're here, we're going to start new, we're going to start fresh, like this is going to be a good place for us. And in doing so, we abandoned a lot of those things that would actually help us be at home and establish ourselves. Hmm. And I've taken that assumption with me that when you start in a new place, you just do everything new. Hmm. When there's actually a gift to that constancy that the Lord gives to us, that ordinary you know, maybe you've read Proverbs in the mornings for years. That's okay. It's not like, don't reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. That was something that my family did when I was growing up until, um, and it was it was Proverbs in the morning. So I had entire Proverbs memorized by the time I was in my teens because we just read them. All the time. The proverb of the day, every, all the time. Same translation over and over. I'm thinking of the same like holy days and the same yeah. festivals and the same like liturgies that, 
the Jewish people kept in and out of exile and like wherever they were dispersed. And it it tells them about themselves, even as they are saying something about the Lord. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, we are the people of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. shared feasts and lament and joy and trust and, yeah. Yeah. So much. That's so much to think about. And so embodied. It made me think of like, what does Jesus have? (laughs) What did Jesus have as like his favorite items? And Mm. was there any that told of his lineage and like his family traditions? And, and we, for some reason we don't think of him with those. No, uh -uh. because he's a symbol of our faith almost for me. I should speak for me. Sometimes for me, he feels like a symbol of my faith instead of an actual man. Oh yeah, 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 and I think our family systems or the ways that we were raised or have established our own families is part of what makes it harder mm-hmm. because we can see the corruptions in, you know, the the messy parenting either that we were parented or how we enact that ourselves, and we think there's all these these flaws and this the generational sins yeah. or you know that. The, the family genetics, you know, you're, you're, how likely are you to get such and such a thing? Um, and we experience the flaws in such a way that when we think of sinless, perfect Christ, we have to take him out of his family and out of his time and place because we can't envision what it might look like that he lived in a redemptively sinless way. That his living in that way in an entire life from, from conception is the kind of fullness and righteousness and perfect son of God that we lack. It's precisely what we need. We need him to have, to have and to live as a man because we're so aware of the, the flaws and the failings and the... We can't just get, we just can't get this right, Lord. We just cannot get this right. We need him precisely as a man. Come to him with all your heart. Come and lay your burdens down. For peace he came to give. And joy shall be the crown And joy shall be